Shada, I can't hear you. Headphones. Shada, you're still on mute. Nope. You and on mute. No, I'm not on mute. Can you, there you can go. You, yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Yes. Go, go. Let me tell you, technology in the time of a pandemic, it's amazing and crazy. But hi, I'm Conchetta Dixon. Everybody calls me Chetta. Um, I'm called, coming from uh, live and direct from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, professionally, I work for Vanguard as a financial planner. Um, Delta SIG wise, in terms of my Delta SIG journey, I was initiated at the Mupai chapter, Penn State Baron in Erie, Pennsylvania back in 1994. Um, in addition to holding several positions on several committees and Team Northeast, um, you've probably seen me sing the roles or lead the roles at various uh, GCCs and provincial conferences in the Northeast. Um, I'm also a Silver Helmet uh, honoree. So, you know, I'm here to welcome you on behalf of FRAC. This is uh, the unofficial Fairbanks remote alumni chapter or the free range alumni community for us Delta SIGs. Um, FRAC is happy to present, which is, this is our final speaker event, Delta SIG and diversity on the heels of national social justice movements that sprung up around June 1st of 2020. Several brothers gathered together on a Zoom call to talk about things. And that's how DSP Speakers was born. DS Speakers was born out of that call. We talked about diversity and the history in the organization. So that started the pre-planning for a diversity and fraternity event. And one year later, this is where we are right now. It's happening right now. So we've got a great panel, um, a lineup of panelists that include Alan Schuster, Sharice Thomas, Trey Hernandez, and Stacey Jordan, and we have our moderator for the night, who I am happy to introduce now, Terrence Jones. So Terrence, you're up. All righty. Well, good evening, everybody. I'm Terrence. I come from the South Central uh, region of our province of Delta Sigma Pi, part of the Kappa Xi chapter at UL Lafayette, i.e. Raging Cajuns, i.e. Um, I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm the owner of Seaburns LLC Consulting Group and also Louisiana Creole Pecan Candy based out of Lafayette, Louisiana. I was the president of Delta Sigma Pi at Kappa Xi chapter where we led the largest expansion of the chapter, growing it from 20 members to nearly 100 Delta Sigs and recognized as the most diverse organization at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Um, so that's a little bit about me. So I'm going to pass it over to Mr. Allen. Good evening, everybody. My name is Alan Schuster. I'm a 1997 initiate of the Zeta Mu chapter, which is the University of Texas at Arlington, which is actually the home of the Dallas Cowboys, which is Chetta's favorite team of all time. And so uh, professionally, I work in software sales um, for a compliance software firm based here in Dallas. And, and bear with me, my background, I am moving in the morning. So unfortunately, I don't do well with backgrounds when in this place. Oh, Adam, no one was asking you about that. But um, you know, looking forward to having a good talk about diversity and how our different backgrounds can you know, work to broaden our differences and better the fraternity.
Next, I'm going to pass it over to Miss Stacy. Good evening, everyone. My name is Stacy Jordan. I am uh, another civil Hemet uh, honoree. I got. Uh, I am from originally from Savannah. I live in Alexandria, Virginia. I played Justice Mapai at Epsilon Chi Tractor at Georgia Southern University. Professionally, I work for the federal government. So when you pay your taxes, you help pay my salary. I, I am a supervisory IT specialist with the Department of Transportation Office of Inspector General. And currently or previously, I am a district director for Zyro, which is George Washington University. And I just completed six years after being a foundation trustee. Thank you. Next we have Trey. Hey, how you doing? Thanks, Terrence. Thanks, Frack. Uh, I'm Trey Hernandez. I am hailing from the Western province, and I was initiated at Loyola Marymount University, so that's a Delta Sigma chapter and a lifetime member of Los Angeles alumni chapter and a big Rams fan. So we'll see you later in the year, Alan, at our big new stadium here in L.A. Um, Professionally, I am senior director of a national architecture and commercial construction firm based in uh, Los Angeles, California, and in Boston. So what up, Vito? Welcome to your new home. Um, and just uh, past, if we look back, I you know, served on National Professional Development Committee, uh, regional vice president of the South Pacific region, uh, which is LA and Hawaii chapters, um, ran the operational uh, i was the operational chair uh while i was also a student i was also uh, president of my chapter chancellor of my chapter um and served as district director for pepperdine university um and many other many other titles and roles throughout um throughout my time in delta sig but obviously my, my favorite title is and always will be brother so looking forward to sharing a little bit more about my experience and uh, and hearing from this amazing panel. Thank you. And last but not least, Ms. Sharice. Hi guys, I'm Sharice Thomas. Um, I was actually initiated in Delta Sigma Pi in April of 2009. I cannot believe it's been 12 years. Um, upon graduation, I started serving my home chapter of Delta Rho as the district director. Um, and then I just continued to fall in love with Delta Sigma Pi and became the regional vice president for Huron um, in the North Central province from 2013 to 2017. Um, professionally, I also work in technical sales, kind of similar to Allen. Um, I work for Thomson Reuters and I'm a solutions engineer. So I'm excited to be here um, and see my DSP brothers. I haven't seen you guys along in a long time. Um, and I'm representing the North Central province. I don't know if I said that already, but North Central, yes. And I'm, I currently live in Detroit. So I know North Central is all of the hand and stuff, but um, I actually live in Detroit. So shout out to Detroit Metro alumni chapter if any of those brothers are on there. And shout out to the current Huron RVP. I see her, Anna. I see names. So I'm just calling out names I've seen in a while. So hi, everyone. All righty, so let's kick this off. So the first question is going to be to everybody on the panel. Um, so here we go. What was the democratic demographic of your chapter overall? This includes race, national origin, gender, LGBT plus, 
and overall political ideas, if you know. So anybody want to take this one first? I'll go ahead and take it first. Uh, I can tell you what it is now and what it was about 30 years ago. Uh, it was 50-50. Um, I went to a predominantly white school. So it was 50-50 and it was the first Greek anything um, on our campus in 1965. So in the South, obviously, uh, you have different political beliefs um, just based on where you are in South Georgia. And now it is predominantly African-American and it's about 10% black. Well, 10% white is 90% black, which is, again, is that oxymoron of the school because the school is 60-40. Gotcha. Same thing kind of happened at UL Lafayette, predominantly white chapter, white school back in the 80s, but it was more diverse. Then it became predominantly black, so about 95% black. Um, during my time frame, we went from 95% black to about 60% black and increased diversity that way with almost 100 members. All right, sounds good. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Yes, um, at Zetamuj from about 24 years ago, the chapter was pretty even, um, I'd say probably about 60, 40 female to male, but primarily, you know, white. There was only um, two people of color, no one um, out as LGBT at the time. Over the years, I've seen it fluctuate through very different stages of diversity. However, I am proud that to see that over the past several 10, 10, 15 years, it has been extremely diverse as far as different races, national origins, gender, you know, sexual orientations. And I've even seen you know, alumni come out you know, with different gender identities as well. All right. What about you, Trey or Sharice? Yeah, so uh, LMU, uh, I was there, uh, similar to Sharice, I was there 09 to 12. Um, and I would say uh, male to female, probably about 50-50. Um, as far as race goes, it was pretty mixed. I mean, it, I would say heavy, maybe uh, Asian Pacific Islander, and then white, uh, Latino, and African American. So I would say there was a, a realm of diversity, heavy, I would, but heavier on the side of white and, uh, white and Asian. And then as far as LGBT uh, plus, I would say, you know, I, I most identified as gay at the time, if, if, if out, out at all. Um, and then even from nationality standpoint, mostly, mostly American, maybe uh, some Asian countries and then um, a couple from Euro European countries. But um, as far as political ideals, right, we're all we're all young college people at, at the time. So uh, outside of economic backgrounds, I would say it was pretty heavily liberal and with with some con conservatism in there as well, you know. Um, so uh, it, it was a good mix between between all of those. So, um, you know, one of the attractions always to Delta Sigma Pi and even the conversation that we're having now is, is that diversity element, just being able to be thrown into that pool. Uh, of different uh, outlooks and perspective. So that was a uh, Delta Sigma check. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. What about you, Sharice? Um, I share a similar sentiment experience, kind of what Stacey and Trey mentioned as well. I came into the fraternity in 2009. Um, I would say um, male-female ratio was probably 50% as well when I was initiated. And then same um, with race and ethnicity. It was pretty much 50-50 when I was initiated. Over the time, due to like the cultural changes of the campus, 
Um, if anyone is not familiar, Delta Row is in Big Rapids, Michigan. So it's an hour up north from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it's in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. <laughs> um, so there's not a quite, there's not a lot going on. The turnover rate was pretty heavy. A lot of people would come and leave Ferris. So there was a really interesting demographic makeup that traveled through our chapter um, and eventually landed our chapter kind of predominantly being an all black African-American chapter. And we kind of uh, gathered a reputation, rep uh, uh, we, we kind of gathered being an all black chapter for quite some time. Um, and I would say even for the most part up until the ending of the chapter, I believe that that was like the general makeup. So very, sen very similar sentiment to some of the other panelists though. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank y'all. All right, let's go to the next question. So this question is going to be for Alan and Miss Stacy. I'll start off with Miss Stacy first. So I need y'all to break down DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does each word mean? And to combine two or all three of them, what does it mean? All Maybe right. First. Oh, I can go first or you can go Absolutely. first. Lady first. Oh, thank you so much. So, Absolutely. thank you. It seems like we don't know each other for that long, right? Uh, diversity is uh, it's it a lot of different uh, things in respect to different people, different types of people. Uh, it's not just you know ethnicity; it's also age and experience and cultures, you know, sexual orientation, religion. And also in respect to you know disability, because again, um, working in the federal government, diversity runs a a a, a multitude. Equ equity is making sure, and this is the one thing that we talk about at work. Um, is if someone, and I wish I had a, the picture, but if someone needs a little bit more help to get the same opportunity as someone else, that is you making it a more equitable or uh, a situation in respect to um, having opportunities to be in a leadership role and inclusion is making sure that you have, I don't wanna say the big tent, but you really having everyone involved in terms of their perspective and then feeling that when you make decisions that you're taking the variety of different perspectives in, involved. In, in terms of you know diverse and inclusion, I think all three of them really comes hand to hand with diverse. If you are um, a diverse organization, you are gonna be in some sense inclusive because you're looking for um, new talent. You're looking for individuals who are gonna you know, provide a value add and in, in, in an inclusive organization is a, a powerful one. It is not a, because you have one or the other is both and it's gonna help you in the bottom line. Okay, I guess I'll go now. So diversity, you know, very similar to what Stacy said is, you know, diversity in terms of all different areas, not necessarily just race, gender, religion, but I've talked with brothers who have said, you know, I felt up underrepresented, maybe because of my veteran status, maybe because of my disability. And there's the list just goes on and on um, really. And, but also even just differing types of opinions, because we want to make, you want to make sure that there's a diverse group of opinions, not just the same ones coming around and around again and equity being able to look at all these different groups and make sure all voices are heard 
and then come together in inclusion. Um, with inclusion, one of the things that we think we need to be focusing on with Delta Sigma Pi is the ability to mirror the actual professional world out there. We're seeing, you know, our C levels at all of everyone in our workplaces of all these different backgrounds, views, opinions, and we should make sure that the fraternity helps represent that to prepare the collegiates for the, the business world that does exist, regardless of what school they went to. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So our next question is going to be given to Trey and Sharice. Um, after the uproar from the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter protest in June of 2020, wow, a whole year ago, doesn't seem like it was that long ago, um, many organizations became vocal about DE&I. And nearly a year later, many have not implemented change outside of just words. Uh, specifically to your company and also to DSP, how should we ensure accountability and enforcement of policy slash changes to foster more inclusivity? Um, Sharice. Sorry, navigating through the Zoom with the mute. Um, so that's a loaded question. So <laughs> let, me, let me break up a few pieces of it because it's, it's kind of heavy. So yes, it's been a year does not feel like it's been a year um, since since the, the civil unrest. Um, I would say specifically, I'm gonna have to speak to, um, because of my DSP retirement, I am gonna speak specifically to my company and, and holding accountability because I do remember there being a social media craze and I kind of feel like a lot of things get trendy and, and even and even justice and activism becomes a trendy thing at some points in time. So, you know, the whole George Floyd thing, everyone was throwing black squares up and even retailers were, you know, saying that they were going to do so many things differently. But it's specifically, I, I can only speak to my experiences and my company. I do work for Thomson Reuters. And one of the things that I thought was super impactful that was specific for the group of people that was impacted, because a lot of people went people of color is a very inclusive term. And, and, and specifically the George Floyd unrest and Black Lives Matter, this was all directed to Black people and African-Americans. So um, to see that my company decided to celebrate, and quite a few other people that I noticed decided to um, hold reservation for Juneteenth, this is going to be our second year uh, actually doing that, was really a big step for me in noticing that my company was going making a change in the right direction because they were being inclusive of all of the things that impact black people in our culture and I, I I just feel like a lot of people didn't even know what Juneteenth was what the purpose of it was why it celebrated so to see my company go out of their way to make sure that the African-American employees and the black employees um, had that same reservation as for it for any holiday that we celebrate was a really big step forward. So that would be my piece to share as far as holding people accountable. Everyone says they're gonna do something, but there has to be some action behind what it is that you say you're going to do. And, and, and a lot of times, like I said, action just, it was a very trendy thing to be, act, to, to be an activist last year when we are in the height of the civil unrest, so. Um, the Juneteenth celebration, and I know another other companies have started to do that and allow their employees to um, hold reservation for that day, I think is a really good step forward. 
Thank you. And to those who don't know, Juneteenth is um, a date celebrated in the African-American community when the last uh, groups of slaves were freed in Galveston, Texas. Um, and that's why we call it Juneteenth. That was the official date that Black people in the United States were officially completely freed. All right, Trey. Yeah, so, I mean, Sharice kind of broke it down and laid it out. I, I'll speak to maybe some of the things that I, I saw in, in the fraternity and, you know, kind of how I look at, at what we're experiencing in regards to diversity and, and conversations and inclusion, you know, and, and I think it's important that there's forums and spaces like this where we can talk through some of these items, where, where we can essentially have conversations without it necessarily elevating to a political standpoint uh, to Sharice's point uh, of trends like getting canceled. We need to be able to talk about uh, really where, where the fraternity has been, where, where we personally have been and how we felt in situations. And, and for me, I, I'm part of the Asian American and Pacific Islander, so AAPI. Um, for, for those that may not know my background, I'm, I'm half white and half Filipino. So, um, you know, being able to have a conversation similar to what um, Alan and Stacy shared about what diversity is and understanding that there have been times when people have felt uncomfortable or didn't feel included uh, in the conversation about an organization that says we're all brothers. We all live under one title. Um, so I, I think that that's certainly an area where we can step forward and really participate um, and share our stories because in every province and in every region, there's somebody that is very much representing that background and, and sharing their leadership with not only our collegiate brothers, but our alumni brothers as well. If, if we take, take an opportunity to stop and, and listen, really. And as far as policy goes, I think policy is certainly important, but I also agree with Sherry's in, in, in understanding that this is, this is actually a culture shift, right? We're unbuttoning a very tight conversation and, and really giving ourselves an opportunity to breathe. And, and for once, we're able to have many voices come in and share their experience. I know in, in other instances, we have other alumni brothers that have held, um, you know, leadership roles and talked about their white privilege up front before they even break into any of their conversations. And I don't think that that has been something that we have ever said before. I mean, you know, we're founded by uh, four white men, and this fraternity looks nothing like four white men anymore. Um, and, and so the ability to see that and recognize that and have those conversations, I think those are still happening right now. So to develop policy um, and accountability around something that maybe we haven't all uh, had a full conversation about, I think we might be putting the cart in front of the horse a little bit. Um, however, you know, what I've seen in, organ in my organization is uh, someone younger like me that's in the construction industry that is Asian. I've been in elevated into executive roles so that my, my perspective and, and the conversation that we want to uh, have and represent outside of our organization is able to happen. Um, and, and that comes with research. That comes with, um, you know, doing uh, so, some uh book reading and, and sharing that amongst the group and sharing that with, uh, with our ownership. And I think that's the accountability that we also have to look to not only as leaders, but as brothers in, in our chapter and, you know, here as alumni, sharing, just hearing a couple of the experiences right now, 
um, and and maybe sharing how we didn't feel included in 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 the brotherhood. I think that's really important. So I, I think that's a differentiator maker and, and a conversation that we can we can continue to have. And and then once we know where we've been, where we are, and where we want to go, we can start to establish policy and accountability around that. But I, I truly don't believe those conversations are are necessarily um, you know widespread or being being initiated from from our leadership all the way down you know so uh i think i think we still have a little more work to do on that and trey and sharice um i can't agree more with you all um i think going into our, our next question um a lot of people probably was a part of the facebook page and seen everything kind of blow up uh with the black lives matter protests and the george floyd uh, murder and seeing um, that a lot of us in the organization are at different ends as far as how they feel about this situation. Um, and I think a lot of people were probably shocked that people in their chapters, people that are in leadership in the organization, think differently of some of brothers. And we talk about how we're brothers in an organization, but um, not always elevating brothers of different nationalities, brothers of um, different walks of life as far as LGBTQ and so on and so forth. So this next question, how do we purge racism and biases from our organization and others around the country? And this goes to, I'm going to start with Alan first. That is going to be a long question. But before I get into that, I did want to comment something on what Trey said about us being founded by four white guys. Well, one thing just to feel proud of, just even looking back and taking into account of the time that we were in, back then, if you were founding a fraternity, yes, you were a white male. You were a privileged, non-Catholic, Christian white male. We had a Jewish male. We had people that were not you know, well off. We had people of different national origins. So for the time, we were very diverse for what the landscape of a university was at the time. And I think, you know, by having these talks again, this is what's only going to lead us back into that. And I really just wanted some people may not know these things just to hear that. Um, but purging racism, unfortunately, I don't think that's something that is going to always ever going to be done. However, there are going to be ways to, from the beginning, you know, educate your members within the different chapters. We may have chapters who have very, just by the types of universities have different levels of engagement of people in different areas. I've been district director for multiple chapters where over one, over 90% of the chapter was white, you know, and well, well said. I mean, well, sorry, I was reading what Lynette said, white, you know, male or female, very conservative. I've also been district director for very racially diverse chapters as well. So I think what the goals is is to you know put in a put in a process to educate the leaders, the staff, all our national volunteers, but ultimately be able to educate our collegiates because people join Delta Sigma Pi to become a business leader. And today you cannot become a business leader if you're not able to engage with all different areas of your community whether some people agree with diversity or not, you let's look at today. I mean, it's Pride Month. You go into Target. The big joke we've, um, I've been seeing around during Pride Month is, oh, did somebody see the new Target Pride suit, which is this whole rainbow Pride suit? And that they go, but what I'm meaning by that is just 
the companies are embracing all these different groups. So we need to make sure the leadership and the collegiates know how to do that while they're still an undergrad. Thank you. All right, Sharice, same question. Need me to repeat it for you? Yes, no, it's the purging racism and biases. Correct. Yes, correct. Okay. Um, so for this particular question, I, I wanted to kind of echo on some of what Alan and Stacy said in the first particular question, we were kind of talking about our experiences. Um, and when it comes to purging biases, I definitely want to, and I can't speak for any other, any other national volunteer leaders or any alumni members on this panel and their experiences. But from my experience, like I mentioned, I, I came um, although I was not initiated into a predominantly African-American chapter, that is kind of what my chapter ended up turning into because of the culture of the university. Um, and specifically, a lot of the recommendations, even as a collegiate member, this is prior to me being a national volunteer leader, I served as chapter president, senior vice president, and I believe specifically when we had a few consultation visits, this came when I was a senior vice president, they brought to our attention that we needed to diversify our chapter, right? So um, essentially, like I just said, our chapter was an all black chapter and from what that meant, and even if that's not from what they said and what our chapter received is, hey, you guys need to recruit more people that don't necessarily look like you, right? Um, and, and, and I do think that that's a fair statement. I think diversity, um, obviously extends to the color of people's skin. But the point that I wanted to piggyback on is that it's, 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 it's inclusive to quite a, a few more other things, it's specifically, like Alan said, the veteran status, the sexual orientation. Um, but the point that I want to make about the biases specifically, I say that is, I remember when I then became a volunteer leader and I was able to see, I was able to see BSP from a different set of lenses, um, I noticed that when I looked at the demographic of other chapters that may have been predominantly white, that message of diversifying the chapter wasn't always the same across the board. And then there's a bias there that comes and says, hey, these chapters should diversify with people that look like them, but there's not that same push when there are when there's a chapter that's not necessarily, and I don't want to use the term, the terminology or the verbiage of being all black, but I do remember collegiates calling that to my attention as the, as, the, as the regional vice president at some point across chapters, like, hey, our chapter has a makeup of, we're a predominantly black chapter. I had more than one predominantly black chapter in my region. So there is a bias there sometimes when it comes to diversity and un, we do need to have an understanding that there's a spectrum and that diversity works on both ends and not just in one subset of what, someone thinks diversity is. I do think back then in that particular time frame, a lot of diversity was focused on ethnicity and race versus some of those other um, those other care other identifying characteristics that you know that Alan and Stacy mentioned in the very beginning that they had that makeup of their chapter. So I want to I don't necessarily have an answer um, about how do we purge racism. I don't want to be the end all be all person and the the black spokesperson for how do we do that in BSP. That that's not my goal. That's not my aim. But I just also want to make sure that we're calling attention to the fact that this is what some of the chapters are experiencing. That's what they're going to continue to experience. And we have to kind of make sure that we're addressing diversity from both viewpoints and not just from one standpoint. So I know that's a mouthful, but that's my response. 
Gotcha. That's a good point uh, that we do have to address it from both ends. It can't just be start from one end because we see what happens when we only focus on one side of it and not the totality. All righty. So this next question is, when you hear the phrases Delta Sig and diversity or DEI and Delta Sigma Pi, what comes to mind? I'm going to kick this one off to Trey first. All right, there we go. Okay, there you go. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, when I hear uh, Delta SIG and diversity, I mean, that's really why I was attracted to joining uh, Delta Sigma Pi. You know, I saw, I saw in joining this organization that I wasn't just going to join a social fraternity, which happened to be all white males at, at my university. I, I would have been the diversity in that chapter. Whereas joining Delta Sigma Pi, it felt like uh, an opportunity to join a family, people that were uh, open to listening, um, opening to sharing their perspective and helping me get better as a brother. And I still hold those values true to this day. I believe that we are forward looking and we are trying to get the best out of each other in an area where um, you know, you, you're almost at, at, at living in an incubator, right? We're not getting it right all the time. Uh, we're going to do some wrong, but hopefully the fact of the matter is that we're falling down and picking ourselves up just as quickly as we've fallen down. Um, and, and I think that's true of, of what we're trying to do as Delta SIGs, and especially in regards to diversity, right? I, I mentioned earlier that if you look around in, in every province, in every region, um, you have the opportunity to seek more understanding when it comes to diversity and having those inclusive conversations is, is, is going to be so impactful to what it is that we do next. And that's really what I believe and why I still come back as an alumni and share my time and share my experiences uh, because that's what it really means to me. It's an opportunity for us to, to really understand this, movement, this culture that we're experiencing and be more inclusive with, with our brothers. And, and so, you know, I, Alan, thanks for, for coming in uh, and clearing up some of the founding father things, but, you know, to Sharice's point much earlier, right. It, it, you know, that inclusivity started much earlier in our foundation, right. Outside of race, it, it incorporated, it incorporated religion. And at that time that culturally was not uh, something that was recognized as normal, as regular, as every day. However, today, you know, that's something that we are also overcoming. We're overcoming some of these equity barriers. Um, we're overcoming, overcoming this very experience that Cherie shared with us. Uh, we're seeing people more than what color is now. We're seeing who they are um, and, and who they are becoming. Uh, and so I think those are all very important conversations. And I, I love the opportunity to be sitting on this panel today and, and starting to share some of those ideas now. Thank you. Same question to Ms. Stacy. So I'm not going to necessarily copy what Trey said, but I think um, in the, the fraternity right now, if we want to be a present looking um, when you think of DEI and Delta SIG, it is one of those things that we need to look at the opportunity um, to really not just talk about it, but be about it. Um, like my sisters, um, one of my sisters is a brother and my other three sisters are, you know, because they came to Grand Chapter Congress in 2019, 
the, the, the question, it was in Atlanta, my family's in Atlanta. One of the things I was asked is that, did you notice, you know, certain things? And, you know, again, when you talk about business leaders with, you know, when you look at DEI and Delta SIG, do our leadership, if you was a John Smith person, would you say our leadership is diverse on a national level? And that was one of those things that, you know, we really haven't really had the conversations like Trey and Carissa's had um, I, about, about that. But I, I think that, you know, things that are said to people and the Facebook posts of last year and how we communicate to um, our chapters, you know, it has to be consistent. But at the same time, this is an opportunity because we really haven't had the conversation about race. We haven't had the conversation about gender, about ethnicity. We haven't had a conversation really about, you know, sexual orientation. It's been those, hey, those things you don't really say, but people know, right? And so we really have to be open to really having the honest discussions because I think that there are several people who have an opportunity to say, hey, this is what you do. Um, and, you know, professionally, even as a federal government employee, my, where I work, the biggest thing that's been on a survey is say, hey, we want to see certain people in leadership roles. Why should we want to work hard if we don't see someone that's reflective? And again, how we get people involved in the organization. And if you don't see that there's people there, you know, as a volunteer, you don't have people who who take you under your wing. I know, Therese, that's what you was going to talk about, you know, pulling people to the side and, and having conversations. And Trey, I've had the conversation, you know, there's plenty of people who I've talked to when they were thinking about being RVP, you know, because I understand that from a unique perspective. And when I was going through the leadership ranks myself, I didn't have someone that looked like me to have the conversations. And I think that when you look at diversity and you look at inclusion, having the right people saying, hey, we may not be where we are, but taking an opportunity to be the change that you want to see. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so our last formal questions and then we'll get into some of the questions from the chat um, to everybody on the panel. In your companies and the fraternity, what are some things you have seen or heard that people get wrong about DEI? Anybody want to go first? I'll go. Um, one of the things that I have commonly heard colleagues say, um, and this is a safe space, but one of the things I've heard colleagues say in my in, in my company and my personal organization during these conversation and these safe space talks that they're allowing us to have, um, that I don't necessarily think they always see how the receiving end of the person can feel about the comment, but the comment a lot of people say is, I don't see color. I don't see color. I'm not racist. I don't see color. So just two points, because I want the other panelists to be able to speak. Um, it's not enough to be not racist. We, we absolutely have to be anti-racist, and that's going to be you not being passive and you actually taking a stand. So you can you can talk to me and boo in the face about how you're not racist and how you don't see color, but that does nothing for people of color um, and oppressed groups of people. 
Um, and then it's actually a little offensive sometimes to say that you don't see color, because if you tell me that you don't see color, then you do not see me. You do not see my melanin. You do not see my black skin. You do not see the contributions that my ancestors have given to this country. So to tell me, although that you think that you are being helpful and that you're softening and being kind that you don't see color um, is actually counterproductive in the conversation that we're having when it comes to being inclusive. So a lot of people use that buzzword and, and I have to share that because again, we talk about this on a professional level with my company, but a lot of people say that I don't see color, I'm not racist. So great that you're not racist. How are you anti-racist? And I do need you to start seeing people of color. I need you to see their, I need you to see their melanin and I need you to see their contributions to, to our culture in everything that you guys do. So those would be the two things that I've seen and or heard that I do think people get wrong when it comes to being, saying that they're being diversity, being diverse or um, equitable or being inclusive. You hit the nail on the head. Oh, that's one of my pet peeves. I don't see race. I don't see color. Then what do you see? <laughs> that, that, that goes to a comment I'm going to make right now in respect to equality. Everyone has an equal shot. You know, being from the South, you know, pulling yourself from your bootstraps, right? And say, hey, you know, everyone has an equal opportunity, but that's not really the case. If you come from, you know, a school that doesn't, you know, talk about Ivy League education, I could never be a Supreme Court justice because I didn't go to Ivy League school, right? So there's things, you know, as a female in a tech, in a, you know, cybersecurity IT field, it, you, you hear the microaggressions were, oh, I didn't know you know this. Or, you know, people will say things about, about people of color or someone that is not who they think is superior to them or equal to them and think it's okay. And then when, when you make say, no, I don't think you really meant to say that, right? Oh, yeah, da, da, da. And, and then they really go that. And I think that sometimes when, um, when we look about inclusion, people... You know, people look at inclusion from a different lens, but I think, again, when you look at equity, is if you really take a, a look at, okay, does everyone truly have the opportunity to rise to whatever level um, in the organization? Do you need to give a helping hand? You know, is there a special program that you need to set up to say, hey, this may be a fast track uh, towards um, you getting to, into a senior leadership role? I, I am fortunate at my job because of that survey that I'm getting an opportunity to, to do some things that someone would normally not be able to because we have to look at um, uh, inclusiveness of our um, leadership ranks and, and uh, to have the opportunity to do things I would not have because my job is taking a approach of, we know we do not have certain things in our leadership. We want to be a good workplace we are looking at certain people to make sure our leadership um, pipeline um, is as diverse as possible. Thank you. Anybody else want to take a stab at it before we go on to the next couple of questions? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of just jump off what Cherie said, as well as Stacy about I don't see color. And I see where it's all coming from. It's usually a place of from good intentions. I don't and but with we've all heard the statement the road to hell is paved with nothing but good intentions the intentions are there unfortunately but it's like um ever all of us have said so far just in the past couple of minutes but and katrina has said in the chat it still dismisses 
the inequities that are out there. Yes, I may see that Trey, Alan, I'm just picking names out of the list, Anna, you know, Adam, just a couple of names, you know, I may see them as equal, but the, the reality is they did not necessarily start on the same equal footing. And that may not necessarily be a skin color thing. That could be a, you know, how they're raised thing. Like, um, for instance, I like in my, like on my dad's side of the family, which is, you know, predominantly black, you know, we have two very different sides of the family and you can tell which side it had very different groups. Like um, the side that has been in the United States since before the Revolutionary War, we were some of the original freemen in the country. You're seeing people who were Ivy League educated. However, we'll see people who had only come over in the past several decades and the, and you'll see a huge, bigger educational divide. So even though we're talking about people with same set of skin, they end up being presented a little bit differently. And sometimes you have to take that extra step to figure out where they're all coming from. So it gets right back to, I don't see color, but it goes beyond that. It's, I don't see your sexual orientation. I don't see your financial background. I don't see your religion. You need to see all these things because unfortunately that's what the world is. Yep. All righty. Anybody else want to say anything? I know. All right. All right. So first question from our um, Q&A. My question is for everybody. Um, have anyone felt excluded from Delta Sigma Pi in any way? Collegiate chapter, alumni chapter, event, and etc. I personally will say yes. <laughs> from my experience, um, when my chapter was predominantly Black, just the sarcasm from our uh, provincial vice president came to UL Lafayette as a majority white school. So it's about 64% white, 22% black, and then the rest is other. And he made a comment saying, oh, is UL Lafayette a HBCU? And all of the, the executive team were just looking because we're all black. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just messing with y'all because y'all too black. Um. And there were other people who microaggression. My, yes, microaggression, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I called that person out last year for those comments. Um, there are other people who were at central office who made similar comments too. Um, we were close with uh, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana Tech University in Ruston, um, and also Loyola University in New Orleans. Most of those chapters in McNeese State, predominantly white chapters, some of them were a little bit more diverse than others, they didn't get the same criticism. Um, and they wondered how we at UL knew that central office and other leaders in DSP were making those microaggressions. Um, so yes, to that question, yes, I have been excluded and I know a bunch of people who else, anybody else on the panel felt similarly or differently. Yeah, I well, um, first I'll comment a little bit on what I actually heard about that an incident closer to when it happened. I think that's a perfect example of where we as a fraternity can improve on educating our staff and our leaders in how to work with people of different backgrounds. Um, I have personally um, felt you know, excluded at different times for one reason or another being at different communities. Um, 
One thing I remember getting told um, several times about 10 years ago during the marriage equality movement by people I will not name names who were either um, different RVPs or maybe even foundation trustees is, Alan, why do you feel like you even deserve marriage? Like, why should I have to give up my rights for you? And so that been, has ha had happened many times. A lot of them have changed their tune, which is a reason, and this is not the space to discuss names. But no, I have felt that, you know, before and being as, you know, someone who could pass as either white or a person of color, depending on my tan at the moment or my crowd that I'm hanging out with. It's, I've definitely have, you know, felt excluded in all sorts of different areas as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else got any other comments? Well, I think that sometimes when you're the only, I think Sharice and Trey will also um, talk about this a little bit. When you are the only person you stand out when you're in the leadership team and you have to be comfortable with standing out. And sometimes you do um, get a little excluded just in terms of going to a chapter. They don't know what to expect of you because they have these perceived notions of, oh, you're not the typical whatever you fill in the blank person. And so you have to work harder to prove that you belong in that space. And as opposed to, okay, someone else can be not as, have to work as hard um, to be um, in a leadership role. And so it is more that when you are a, someone that is one of the only, you know that there is a spotlight on you. So you have to understand that, you know, you have to have a little bit of a thick skin sometimes. Um, like I said, uh, if you don't, uh, you know, there is not that, but you have to seek out people too. And just really be there. Like I said, I've been the only, because I've been in technology, I, you know, again, um, you know, with the only, uh, um, you know, person of color when I was RVP and, you know, one or two um, persons of colors on the foundation. And so you have to be able to navigate, you know, spaces that you are unlimited quantity of. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, we're going to blow through these questions real quick. So I'm going to call on people to answer this one. So Sharice, I'm going to pick you for this one. My chapter, heavily minority, Latino and Black, central office and our PVPs and other leaders keep saying that we need to basically recruit more whites since our college of business is mainly white. However, my best friend is in a chapter that is heavily Asian and their business is mainly white, business school is white, and, they're, um, and they do not get that same pressure. Talking to their alumni, they have not gotten that pressure either. Why is that? Or can you give advice to help us deal with this, which we feel is unfair? So I spoke to this in the, in the very beginning when I talked about my personal experiences. I definitely feel like as a collegian and as a national volunteer leader that I could, um, I understand where that chapter, whoever asked that question, kind of where that's coming from. Specifically, like I would say, you know, the thing about diversity, they would look at my home chapter and say, hey, you're an all black chapter, you guys need to be recruiting, but it was always specific about race. And there was never really a specific solution that was mentioned to us about being inclusive and recruiting in those other categories 
like Alan and Trey had mentioned. So um, my personal advice as far as to a chapter that's kind of experiencing that from the leadership, um, this goes back to the question I had about accountability. I do believe to whom much is given, much is required. If you decide to give your free time to be a national volunteer leader, then you also have to understand that there is criticism, kind of what Stacey mentioned, the spotlight is on you. There is a lot of things that come along with that, but more importantly that I have to hold you to a higher standard. So the thing about accountability is I don't really care who it makes uncomfortable. And I, I, I remember garnering a reputation about really sticking up for my chapters. I don't really care about making anyone uncomfortable anywhere in the namesake of progression for my fraternity, in the namesake of progression for my organization, in the namesake of progression for my own personal beliefs and my own mental health. I think these types of experiences need to be called out. They don't need to be. I have not been an RVP since 2017, and it's very disheartening to hear that those types of experiences are still being funneled through chapters. And I do believe that this is an inherent bias that national volunteer leaders come in with. And I'm not saying that that's any fault of their own. I think everybody is viewing everything from a lens of their own experience. Um, but I believe that the first step is holding people accountable and it needs to be documented and it needs to be professionally addressed from the chapter through all the filters. So if you are a chapter and you are listening to me, you need to contact and write this to your DV via email. You need to CC your PVP. You need to CC everybody in the central office so that your, verse, your voice is heard because they're expecting you to think about Delta Sigma Pi as a business. It's no different than any other franchise or any other company if this was Chick-fil-A. All of these chapters are different locations. So we're all expected to hold a different standard. We're all expected to perform. And we have to hold our leaders to that same standard. So accountability starts with these volunteer leaders. You don't just get to sign up, be a DD because you want to be cool, be a DD because you don't have anything to do after college, or be an RVP. There is a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So my answer, and I hope that no one takes this personal because I don't even know who asked the question, just speaking on my experience, is to hold people accountable. Please document it, please write someone, and please speak because that is how change happens. You have to speak up. I was a part of a chapter who decided, and specifically Pi Tau, I have to, I have to shout them out in this moment because they were a chapter who had the courage to speak up and challenge tradition. They decided they were the one challenge, the, the one chapter that spoke up and wanted to challenge the ritual tradition. All of that came from Pai Tao in that chapter and that takes a lot of bravery, but they sparked change and there has been a lot of change since that discussion. So whatever chapter has that issue, it doesn't matter if you're North Central, wherever you are, document it and continue to press on your volunteer leaders because they get those emails and they have a responsibility to respond. So sorry to get a little aggressive there, but that that just really irks my nerves that that's still happening. And that's just we, we have to we have to make some changes in that. So please speak up and please hold these leaders accountable. That's that's my answer. And to kind of piggyback off of what you said, somebody had asked a question about essentially um, inclusion. Do we have to invite people who make other people feel uncomfortable or offensive and so on and so forth. And this is what, I don't know who asked it, but essentially with that question, one, you have to define what is considered offensive. Because if we go back to June last year, when the Facebook chat got crazy, um, a lot of people felt that a couple of younger brothers who brought up Black Lives Matter saying that we as a fraternity need to talk about it 
people, central office, other places felt like it wasn't the right place to talk about it. And it made a lot of people uncomfortable. So we have to define what is uncomfortable, what is offensive and so on and so forth, because talking about my black skin shouldn't make somebody feel uncomfortable. Talking about the problems that we have in the United States of America, if we're supposed to be the greatest country on earth, shouldn't make people feel offensive. So we just have to define that a little bit more. And then I know we're running out of time. Um, but I'm gonna add just a little tip to that. Mm -hmm. um, people are uncomfortable with things they don't understand or they have a situation where they don't really want to go into have a, a deep offense to. Because there's people who, you know, again, I'm from the South. There's things, I have a minor history. There's things that people do not, if you don't have a comfort level, you say, hey, I don't want to talk about this. I'm not educated. I'm not authoritative. But at the same time, you have to seek out um, the ability to want to educate yourself um, in order to be able to talk intelligently. Because you can't just keep pushing it off. You know, like, you, like it was mentioned earlier, we're training our business, we train our students, our collegiates to be good business leaders. You know, again, businesses know that they have to talk about these subjects in order to have a competitive advantage because people are looking at their practices. And so as an organization, we do we do our membership, both collegiate and alumni as a service, if we are not having the difficult conversations. Thank you, thank you. And this other question, um, I know this one is a really important question, and I thank whoever asked this question. As a white female RVP with some chapters who are very mixed, heavily not white here, what can I do to help support them when they do not fit into the Delta Sigma Pi image that, um, that we see in here, the ELCs and the COs? Um, so, uh, Ms. Stacy. You want to take that one? Uh, yes. First, be an advocate. Listen to the chapter um, because, again, uh, the ELCs are coming with their different perspective. And if you really are willing to um, listen to your chapters and be an advocate, understand what their background is. Because as someone who's, who has met and know uh, previous ELCs, they will talk to the RVPs. And when I was RVP, I said, hey, this is the situation with this chapter. And you try to be the funnel in a sense. They try to be, say, hey, this is what this chapter is going through. Yes, you know, these dynamics. It is not that you know, they're not trying. But again, being an advocate for that chapter, because if you are not being there for them and they're getting this pushback, Again, it goes back to the previous question of what do we do as a leader? We all have to make sure that when we go to the college campus, we come in with a clean state. Even though you might have gotten some information from a previous leader, you go in with a clean slate. You get to know people, personalities, the faculty, district directors, you know, some of the alumni, and get a good picture. So when they do get a visit, you can be, again, you are a partner with the ELC, and you're also a partner with the chapter and the district director. So if you want the best thing for your chapter visit, if there is a, a diversity issue, you know, working with your faculty, if you have diverse faculty members, getting them involved, because again, there's a lot of different ways to tackle the problem, but everyone has to be receptive to the solution. Thank you. You know, and Terrence, if I can hop in on that too, yeah. I mean, 
ask them, ask the chapter how they want to be addressed, ask them how they can do better, uh, ask, ask them how you can be an advocate for them to do better. I think a lot of the times we put uh, the opportunity on the chapter or on the, you know, leadership on ELC, on the staff. And the reality is, is, you know, you stepped into this role so that you could help, uh, that you could further the fraternity. And I think that because you asked the question, you do care and making it that much better for that chapter to have their voice heard and, and be recognized in uh, standardization of what the fraternity is trying to be. Cherie uh, said it earlier. I mean, there's an opportunity to spark change. I, I mean, I can't imagine that you wouldn't want to be a part of that and especially for your for your region. So I, I definitely think just having that initial conversation with them and asking them, you know, what they think, how they think the evaluation goes and, and what the next step should be and, and just collaborate with them on that level. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in, in making it a lot better for them. And especially for you as a leader, that what, what an opportunity um, um, for you to, to be in a new perspective and stand in those shoes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, next question. People say that minorities, race, LGBT, and DSP need to be a part of the solution. However, can the leaders on this panel acknowledge with some fraternity politics and other factors that is not that simple to try to stay active and rise up the ranks? Um, yeah, I don't like how this one is worded, kind of, sort of. Um, how do you essentially, how would you encourage somebody to stay active and be a part of that solution, even though they don't feel like they belong in Delta Sigma Pi? Um, Alan. Okay, so that, that was a loaded question right there. So, so, okay, just kind of make sure I understand the question. So you're talking about if someone is a part of a different minority group that they don't feel is heavily represented when they, let's say they see leadership or a grand chapter is how do you get them to stay involved and rise up? Is that the, is that the gist of the question that I'm getting? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I would say one thing is if, if you're, let's say in a minority group, um, you know, like say I'm part of the LGBT, but also, you know, different people of color groups of the fraternity is talk to people, find out who are people of these different communities you know, people of color, it's probably a lot easier to find than LGBT at times, you know, depending on who you're speaking with. Get connected with these people. You know, they may not be from where you are. Someone may be in, let's say, Tennessee. They may feel, oh, I may be the only person that may be, let's say, in, in you know, of one background, but they may see, okay, I'm seeing a lot of people you know, from let's say California that are far the same background as well. The key point is we need to do better at, you know, connecting people and, you know, navigating them through different parts of the fraternity to get to know people. And so that way they are motivated to stay involved. I think being able to rise the ranks is a little easier, uh, but the biggest problem is, is someone going to be motivated to stick around because that is truly the biggest challenge out there is how do we keep them coming back it's one thing to get that first impression but what happens at that first impression and how do we keep them i've seen you know conferences at other groups where they are a lot more forthcoming and setting up um, happy hours or receptions specifically like to the aapi you know people of african-american color people you know that are hispanic people are lgbt to make sure that the attendees from all parts of 
the country or the world that are in attendance are able to get to meet these people in these different groups. So that way they do feel like they have a family within the fraternity. Thank you. Um, this next question, I'm gonna give it to uh, Trey. Um, have you ever felt or, in, or I guess you could say encountered the imposter syndrome and how did you overcome it? The imposter syndrome. Well, I mean, I think uh, Alan talked a little bit about uh, passing, right? So I, I'm I'm half white and I'm half Asian. And, and sometimes in, in those instance, instances, I have to take on one identity. I, I'm recognized as white or I'm recognized as Asian. And that's what helps me fit into that group. And a little of that is probably just being uncomfortable, not knowing to fully be me in that situation. And so I will side into one of one of those areas that make me feel uh, stronger or more connected to a group in that sense, rather than share who I am and share that background. And I think I felt more empowered as I've gone through the years sharing my story um, being able to talk more with others about who I am and really feeling better about uh, the experiences I can bring through different perspectives. Um, you know, I, I talked about being in Delta Sigma, Delta Sigma Pi, but I'm also in uh, social fraternity Sigma Alpha Epsilon, and that's primarily men and, and, and white men at that. And so being able to share um, how, I, how I felt through that experience and talking with leadership there and even onboarding a black female to be our diversity uh, chair in a primarily Southern white fraternity is, uh, is pretty Im impactful in, in seeing how that change happens. But it's only through sharing uh, who I am and, and with others that maybe wouldn't have seen me that way um, that I can drop that veil of the imposter syndrome. I, I hope I'm answering that question correctly, but uh, you know, I, I feel, I feel that that's, that's one way to do that is you kind of have to step into yourself and really believe that what you're bringing to the table, it, it, it can make a change, uh, even in that minute or mag, you know, magnum feeling of, uh, not being who you really are. And, uh, you know, that, that comes with practice. So practice with this organization. And to follow up on that last question, Terrence, also, you have the policy to write. You know, if you want to change something, you can write a policy and you can get brothers like us to, sp to sponsor that policy with you and, and rise up to, to that leadership ranking and make, and make changes. People are there. If you, if you share your story and you share your experience, you'll find others behind you that want to help you get there as well. And um, if you don't, hopefully you'll get my contact information and, and I'll have your back. So uh, that's a little bit more than you need to dare it, but that's what I got. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. So these next two questions, they kind of go hand in hand to a couple of elements that we discussed earlier. So this is going to be for Miss Stacy and Sharice and myself. I'm going to start off with this first question that's going to lead into the second question. Um, is it appropriate to create a program or fast track that caters to brothers based on race slash gender? Or is it better to have programs for everyone with inclusive language and diverse presenters? So that's question one. On the flip side, um, how do we um, encourage more Black Delta Six to be involved on the national level? So let me take, uh, let me, if I can, um, I think that 
I've been around, I tell people I've lost more than one, right? And um, in terms of being elected, I, I persevere when a lot of people haven't. And so I think for me personally, I've been fortunate to serve as an elected leader and also as a trustee. And again, having those doors, uh, I worked at it. You know, I was kind of the net. I was always around. So uh, people would say, hey, you just hanging out. And because I looked and I surveyed the landscape and it, what to me, I felt at the time that we didn't have. And I think that it's not only as a district director, but there's committees both in the fraternity and also the foundation that gives people opportunity. And then, um, you know, there's other little things um, that, you know, again, um, that there's there, but there is at least three of us who have, you know, who are Golden Council members who have a little bit of connections. I think I probably have a little bit more connection uh, than two of them, but to be able to say, hey, I have this interest, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to put you um, into? Uh, for me, uh, again, it is something that the, my family asked me the question, why do you stay involved? Because I think that sometimes you need a role model. You need someone that looks like you to say, hey, I want you. It, it took me a long time to get elected. It took me eight years to get elected. Uh, and for me, I, you know, having a conversation with Sharice when she was thinking about running and say, hey, these are the things that you want to do. This is really what you want to do. Hey, let me help you. And there's people like myself and there's probably a couple of others who will take people aside and say, hey, these are the roadblocks. These are the things that you may have um, when you go through the experience. And I think that if there's truly people who are interested um, in being able uh, to, uh, to want to serve in a leadership role, there is people out there uh, that will, will really take that opportunity and say, hey, let me help you. Because I don't want... Me personally, uh, you know, it's great to be the first, but it's not great to be the only. And that's been always been my mantra um, in respect to that, um, because if you're a first, that's great. But if you're the only, that means you haven't done anything to bring other people up and to have, you know, like when you do recruiting, you need to get two people to be behind you. And so to have the opportunity to, hey, maybe they may be a, another black female as a trustee, there may be another black female who runs for PVP one day, you know. So those kind of things like that, you know. Again, if you want to stay involved, there is a few of us out there that you can reach out, and we will provide you with advice. The you know not only um, you know the fraternity side, but there may be things on the foundation side too. Yes, I would piggyback off of Stacy, and even <clears throat> on the last question that you asked about how do we get more black volunteer leaders involved? But I, I would like to, I'd actually like to pick it back up a few things. So Alan made a comment um, about geo connecting. And I think that that's a very, that is like one of the secret key ingredients to becoming some kind of volunteer leader. Um, one of the key things, and I honestly feel like Los Ellis taught me this when I was still a collegiate um, and I was still the chapter president and he came to an event in the North Central province just as a guest. And I remember him telling me, hey, you need to take your chapter somewhere else. You need to take your chapter and see 
the rest of Delta Sigma Pi. All of these people join Delta Sigma Pi and say, hey, I just, I'm joining a network. And all the interviews, that was the one thing people would say in the chapter interviews, I want a network. I want to meet new people. Well, one of the key things to do that is to go to lead. One of the key ways to meet new people is to geoconnect. And one of the ways that we did that with Delta Row is we decided to go to a lead um, not one of the not one of the lead schools, not a provincial lead that was not in our not in our province. We actually went to the Atlanta lead. Um, also, too, because that was at the time there were a lot of brothers that looked like us that were in that particular region, um, and it is single handedly because of those experiences and geo connecting with other brothers not necessarily in my region or from my home chapter is why I even became a national volunteer leader um, to begin with. I was really able to see Delta Sigma Pi full circle. It's all great to see it in your home chapter and in your campus because these people pledge with you. These are your, your pledge brothers, et cetera. Um, these people know what you know, but to go and to interact and to meet other brothers who don't know what you know is truly the key. Um, and you're gonna be exposed. I've, I've had like, I mean, Delta Sigma Pi has been a life-changing experience for me altogether, but that, that geo-connecting was a key piece um, of what, like I said, why I became a national volunteer leader. I was from, and still am in Michigan, and the particular um, Grand Chapter Congress that I decided to run for regional vice president was in Seattle in 2013. Um, my chapter really, really believed <laughs> in me to be the RVP and to represent them, and they got our university essentially to pay for our travel to go to um, Grand Chapter Congress. But we had the key was that we had to drive. <laughs> so we actually drove from Michigan to Seattle. It was 36 and a half hours. I'll never forget it. And the two other chapter brothers, it was me. And I was a district director at the time, obviously, um, getting to be elected as the RVP. And I was broke. I had just graduated from college. I didn't have much money. But my passion was super heavy for Delta Sigma Pi. My chapter knew that. And um, I remember telling Stacy this, sorry, I remember telling Stacy this, like, hey, Stacy, I'm here. I don't know what's going to happen with RVP, but I'm here. I want to be the RVP for my region. And I did not have enough money to be registered for a grand chapter Congress. And Stacy gave me the money to register for my session so that I could run, that I could be the RVP for four years. And then... I'm emotional because it's a full circle moment. I would do that for any brother at this day that wanted to serve and to lead. She was not from my region. She was not from my province. She didn't know anything about me other than my passion for the fraternity. And she made it happen for me. She helped me as a brother. Um, so I, I have to give Stacy her flowers for 100% for that. But I say that to say it's the geo-connecting, it's the it's the relationships that you build with people is why you stay a part of Delta Sigma Pi. That is why. And you, and you, and you won't understand that until you go through it and you stick to it. So you have to remove your ego from it. I do think everybody has to assess their why and why you even want to be a national volunteer leader. Um, but you have to want it for the right reasons to stay involved and you have to want to help. Um, so I, 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 I just, I had to say that because Alan made such a good point about geo-connecting. Some of my most closest brothers are not from Huron. They're not from my chapter. Some of my most impactful relationships, even at that Grand Chapter Congress, I went to a Grand Chapter Congress prior, the one where I was a chapter president, prior, I was chapter president in, in 11, 
then I became uh, RVP in 13 just because of the way the luck of the draw. But I say that to say it's the geo connecting. It's the long lasting relationships. My littles in the fraternity are my best friends to this day. And that is the connection. And, you know, and, and a lot of people know Delta Row is not even around anymore. My home chapter is gone. Um, but those relationships stand the test of time. And I know everybody says it's not just for year for, for four years, it's for life. This is really a true thing. Even if you're not always acting in the 100% of the capacity as a volunteer leader, you can always act in the spirit of Delta Sigma Pi. So I just wanted to answer that question in that way to let you guys know it's the relationships that you're building now. It's it's the relationship. It's the geo connecting. I know you want to network and learn from your chapter and your alumni members, but make sure you keep touch and hold special to those relationships to those people, you know, that are not necessarily in your area. Thank you. Girl, you're about to make me cry. Whew. I'm so sorry, y'all, but that was important for me to share about Stacey because she really is something special. So. Thank you. Thank you for that story. Um, and then to the to the other part of the question about creating a fast track or a program for brothers based on race, gender, or would it be better to have programs for everyone with inclusive language and diverse presenters? I'm kind of in the middle on this one. Um, not to bore people with like a history lesson, but essentially when we look at anything, we go back to civil rights movement and so on and so forth. We had a lot of inclusive um, talk. But we also have to be honest, who will it benefit um, if we're going to, going to be looking at certain things like that? I know this came up in our diversity um, group when we were trying to help the fraternity with recommendations, where when we look at how do a lot of district directors get appointed? How do people know how to run for certain things? And as an organization, we realize we have more white people in leadership than we do minorities when, what is it? I think in about 10, 15 years, the majorities will be brown skinned people, but our fraternity doesn't look that way as far as leadership wise. Um, so we have to be intentional with those programs. I think we have to look for people who are subject matter experts on diversity, equity, and inclusion and uh, build those programs around that. So a piece of it, yes, being inclusive of everyone else, but I think the biggest thing for me is intent. Who will it benefit? If you don't have that intent, then the whole program falls apart. Anybody wanted to add to that? I do. And I know that uh, Mary just put in that we need, we need volunteers um, regardless. And, and it's true, we do need volunteers, but I think um, something that I said earlier is that sometimes there is a case of picking volunteers that look like you because you are comfortable with having a conversation with someone who looks like you. I've been very fortunate when I um, wanted to uh, be DD for my home chapter. I graduated four years. Uh, we didn't have an RVP, but the PDP. And just to have the conversation, person saw me around. They, they didn't know much about me, but again, they saw me at national events and be able to say, okay, I'm going to take a chance on you. I think that sometimes people have to take chances on people, um, even if they don't know, um, because some people, we're risk averse, right? In business, you want to go with the sure thing. And my buddy over here says, hey, you know, if you get elected, I'm going to be your ace boon coon, right? And then after a while, they don't be your ace boon coon, they fall short. But sometimes people are not comfortable talking to someone or vice versa, a volunteer. We are an organization where we have 
people have to go to someone else as opposed to, hey, I see something potential in you. Maybe you should do this and have those conversations. It has to be, hey, I'm interested. Do you have a spot for me? Instead of us being proactive and looking at potential um, people who could replace us. And so I think, you know, Sharice, I've never told the story, you know, um, that you remind me of. And I do think about that often um, because I think as a leader, sometimes you do things behind the scenes. You see somebody who really, you know, again, I met you in Atlanta and, and all of those things. And you really, you know, when you see someone and you know that they have an interest, you're going to reach out. If you're a leader, you're going to reach out to that person and say, hey, I was on the fence. I'm not sure you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. And I think that's one of those things where sometimes we have to be intentional, as you mentioned, Terrence, to say, hey, we are going to only do X. Because again, some people won't do because they see, okay, I don't see someone like myself. Should I even attempt it? And, you know, again, we have to build the bridge uh, and, and really have people that's there. And we all as leaders have to be intentional of looking at people irregardless. Because, you know, again, um, in 15 years, we are going to be minority to majority and the workforce is going to be reflective of that. And the organization needs to make sure that we're training in that so leaders to be reflective of that. Exactly. This next question goes to Alan. As a new LGBT brother, to the fraternity, I feel unwelcome by my local brothers and others I have interacted with. Is there a place for brothers like me as an alumni? Absolutely, we have many alumni LGBT brothers who go to Congress all the time. A lot of people don't realize we've had multiple LGBT grand presidents as well. Um, there's also an LGBTQ Brothers Adult Single Pi Facebook page to where people of that group can reach out to. Um, also, if, you know, feel, if anyone has any, any questions about that, they can reach out directly to me one-on-one -on -one because I know this can be a sensitive topic. Thank uh, you. We have, we, but um, we do, we are, but there's a very good possibility. I mean, we also have a, our incoming COI is part of the LGBT community. There is an openly LGBTQ candidate for the board of directors as well for an elected position. So no, there is a place. Thank you, Alan. Um, this next question, huh, this one might be a little tough one. All right, so should a minority chapter just give up their charter since the diversity thing and since we don't feel like we're wanted by the fraternity? And then in parentheses, they say we have good CMP and we have no debt. The only issue is race. All righty. So I'm going to pass this one off to Trey first. <laughs> well, that, that's disheartening to hear. And no, I don't think you should give up the charter. Um, that, that's where you want to reach out to uh, some of the brothers on this panel, some of your alumni brothers, and really, uh, really share that experience because it may rock, it may rock uh, a lot of brothers right in the heart. You know, Sharice uh, shared her story. Um, so it's one of those conversations that continues to happen through the years. And, and, and this is the opportunity for us to, to really build some momentum around that, um, especially if race is the, is the inhibitor here. 
um, you know, that that's something that we celebrate and we find pride in in our everyday life. Um, and I'm sure most of your brothers do too. Um, and, you know, especially when you get to go to events like GCC, just imagine your brothers not being represented in the room uh, just simply based on race. Uh, that that just is a disservice to all of us. And, you know, I apologize from, you know, a leadership standpoint if, if that's what you're going through uh, because that is not what represents uh, being a Delta SIG and more importantly, being a brother. Um, so I, I know other brothers are going to be able to drive a little more detail home, but for me personally, that that's, that's just so disheartening to hear and, and uh, full support for you to keep pushing and, and finding the strength and courage to, to continue on and hold your charter. And, and I'll piggyback off of Trey, you know, I felt, kind of sort of in similar situation um, before too, where you're doing everything and it's kind of bubbling down to a racial um, issue where they feel like we don't fit the mold because we're too black or we're too Asian or we're too whatever it might be. Um, don't give up that charter. This is why. Um, our fraternity claims we were founded by these men who had different religious backgrounds came from you know, different countries and so on and so forth. And they were assimilating into white culture. Um, if we were founded on those premises, then we as a fraternity have to do a better job when we're dealing with minority run chapters. And any leader, RVP, grand president or whoever who bats an eye, who does not want to deal with this conversation or does not want to do a thorough investigation, they shouldn't be a leader, point blank period. So I would tell you um, in your, your chapter, document your interactions. If that means that you have to put some people on blast, put them on blast. I think the chapter, the organization needs to know the people that are in our ranks and we need to have an honest discussion about whether we need to expel some members. Um, I think we are being a little passive when we know we do have racist people in our organization. We've seen it <laughs> on the Facebook page last year when they were posting up the white supremacy OK sign. Did any of those people get expelled? I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't heard of any of them getting expelled so far. Um, so call them out, um, document it, um, get your university involved. Um, that was with my chapter. I got the university involved um, to hit back at central office and other leaders um, to let them know that this will not pass. Also look at your university bylaws and regulations and read the national bylaws because there's a stipulation in the bylaws um, for Delta Sigma Pi that says, you know, the university bylaws and the university system bylaws and policies trump Delta Sigma Pi's policies. Get your leadership at the university involved. Get some of them, the president, the, the vice president of student affairs to become Delta Six um, and just fight. That would be my advice. Do not give up that charter. Your alumni and predecessors have fought so hard to keep that charter, to do everything in the in the name of Delta Sigma Pi, and it would be a waste to give that up um, just because we have a bunch of bad or rotten eggs in the organization. 
I just want to add a little bit um, to that. As we get more and more HBCUs, I am currently a colony district director for Bowie State, which is a, a historically black college and university uh, here. And so right now we only have two, we have Savannah State, which is Kappa Chi and our role, which is Howard. And so as we get more um, schools, HBCUs, obviously the type of conversations that we have, because they are gonna be predominantly a minority. So you, you know, again, it's gonna be very difficult to recruit people who are not there um, because that is the, the clientele. So the conversations will evolve um, in respect to how we um, talk about certain things. And again, uh, and I've, I've, I've been a person who have said, even to my home tractor, um, who that is predominantly minority, that they do need to do a better job because again, unless you are a minority owned company, you may, you know, you're going to have to have some interactions with different cultures. And I think, you know, we want to make sure that our students have those interactions at the beginning and be able to have, you know, an interaction. If you have a bad rep on your campus that you only the black organization, you know, that's, you know, in some schools that's happened because of the change in demographic, because, you know, people who are white may not say, oh, they're, they're seen black, having, you know, again, you know, working with a close chapter that you have a good relationship with so people can see that if that is to help. Because again, you know, there is ways that, you know, in the business world, you're going to work with, you know, different cultures, um, different genders, um, different ethnic, you know, orientation. So, you know, again, like, like was said earlier, you know, the fraternity is like the play box in terms of, hey, how do you be a leader? How do you figure out how to manage finances, how to run a meeting? And so those skills will go um, to you as you become a young and, and a seasoned professional. So we really, you know, again, um, have to be sure that the organizations um, that we have, um, once we change in terms of the types of chapters and the schools that we are, some of the issues um, that have been going in terms of diversity and the conversations of how to diversify will, you know, will gradually go away in time. Thank you. Uh, this next question, and it's going to lead into another question, um, came from someone and they were asking, you know, we may have all these different diverse backgrounds and we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. Do we necessarily need to include someone who we may deem as offensive or a troublemaker because they don't understand um, how it is to be gay or understand um, how it is to be a, a black person or it could be somebody who's just drunk that comes up to meetings drunk or high and we just getting tired of the um, stuff. So um, let me go to Trey. Do we need to include them? Man, that's some code of conduct stuff, right? Uh, if you're going to be, uh, you know, have a bad attitude and bring negativity into a conversation, that that's not the type of inclusion we're talking about, right? If you're just there to bring the conversation down and anchor it, I mean, well, I, how are we supposed to move forward, right? That, that's somebody that um, doesn't stand in curiosity or doesn't even stand in courage, you know? I mean, that that's, uh, that's dealt with more on a disciplinary issue. I, I don't really see that you know, even being part of the conversation that we're having, you know, there's barriers to break down. Sure. 
Um, but if you're derogatory about it, um, you know, and, and you're you're not coming into a, this safe space with those intentions or, or with negative intentions, that's, uh, you know, how, how do we get progress there? How do we have conversations there? So, you know, for me, I, I would I would result to a code of conduct question on that uh, in regards to, you know, these types of conversations. But, you know, that's just that that's how I personally would feel about about something like that. Yep. Anybody else want to piggyback? Um, on that as well, I agree with Trey. It's code of conduct. Well, at first, let's get real. If someone's coming under the influence of any substance, it's against ritual to even be in the meeting. So they should not even be there at all. But also, let's look back to our purpose, the highest standards of commercial ethics and culture. If you're coming and not having an open mind, figuring out how you can move the chapter or the fraternity to a higher level, why are you there? Mm -hmm. And then the piggyback question is, what is inclusion truly? What would you say, Alan? Inclusion truly is being able to, one, be able to incorporate the ideas of as many different types of people, as many different backgrounds as you possibly can, but also trying to come to a consensus on how to move forward because Unfortunately, a lot of times people, no matter what background, we have a lot of blinders on because of different backgrounds we may have, different environments we may live in, different parts of the country. It's so, But what we need to do is figure out where we are at the same level, but more importantly, where it is, are we, what road are we truly trying to be on and how do we get on it together, hand in hand? Yep. What about you, Sharice? Um... <laughs> Inclusion, I would say, to, to kind of keep it short and sweet for me, and as it relates to Delta Sigma Pi, I do think we need to focus on safe spaces. A, a lot of the conversations and just the comments I've been hearing and, and commentary through the questions, I do think that safe space is really important. If you're in a safe space, then you're, then you're given then an opportunity to flourish and be yourself. And I think that's one of the big pieces that makes us all unique. And that's a big key to Delta Sigma Pi. We're all individuals. We all bring our own unique flair and genetic qua to Delta Sigma Pi and the way that we do things. So I, I just think that always keeping it open in a safe space and always having a safe space for your brother. You know, you never know what people are going through. You never know what another brother's experiences are. Um, so to just kind of like, like Alan mentioned, keeping an open mind, um, and, and, and again, for inclusion for me is, is safe spaces so that everyone um, can be community. That, that thread last June was not a safe space. That was not a safe space, how that happened. And, and I, I know that was social media. And a lot of times that's not really in the control of like an individual person. You know, once, one, once somebody says something, it kind of just blows out of proportion and then it's a thing. Um, but hopefully we can have those types of conversations and those discussions and Similar to this one, I really appreciate Vito and, and Frank putting this on uh, safe spaces to just have these conversations because this is where the progression happens. You know, a lot of times we, we think it's the collegiates that make the org go, but from my experience, the, the alumni are the heart of the organizations. They're, they're the key. They're the ones that are making things going. So continuing to host these types of spaces and continuing to be um, a resource to all brothers, I think is what inclusion would mean to me. 
Thank you. Thank you. And then this is our last question and everybody on the panel has to answer it, including me. All right. So for all collegiate and alumni brothers out there, no matter if they themselves are in the minority or the majority of the race, gender or LGBT, give us some tips to help them understand those who are different from them. Alan. Yeah, pick me first. Uh, okay, so, uh, you know, ways to, could you repeat the question a little bit? Sorry, my brain just went out on me. <laughs> no problem. Um, essentially, in a nutshell, they're asking, you know, people of different walks of life, race, um, whether you're in the majority race or the minority race, whether you're LGBT or whatever your gender might be what would be some tips that you would give to everyone else to help other people um, understand um, the differences uh, between them? I would say one thing to always remember, no matter which part of the group you're in, is you, no matter what, if you're a person of color, person that's white, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, LGBT, transgender, you make up a pick, you make a make up a piece of the all world community, but also the business community. I've had the pleasure of working with C-level executives who are white, black, Hispanic, transgender, and no matter what you look like or where you come from, there's a seat for you. And you just have to remember that. Miss Stacy. I think the key um, to be able to uh, connect with someone else is really having a conversation. Um, there is something that buys everybody. If it's sports, it might be the weather, it might, it might be something, but find something that you can connect to. Politics is never the connecting fabric for anybody. And so you would avoid that. But, you know, again, there may be something so that you can have some personal relationship, right? Because I think that people, if you have something in common, you, you can use that commonality to agree to disagree. And, and, and that's really one of those things. And again, if there is something that you truly can't relate to, just be honest about that. And if someone says, hey, this makes me feel a certain way, take them for full value. Don't try to dismiss it as, oh, you are, it, it shouldn't bother you because you are X. Well, it does because I know I might be better than that X, but it's still my group of people, in case of a better word, that's having that situation. So it does bother me because, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate, but not everyone else is fortunate. Yeah. What about you, Trey? Yeah, I, I mean, exactly what Stacy said. It's really... Um you feel how you feel and they feel how they feel. And that's okay. Cause we all have feelings. We're all humans. Um, now situations may arise and different outcomes may, may be what they are, but you have to recognize that you're feeling something and it's okay to have a conversation about that. Um, you can, you can either confide in, you know, um, your big brother, your little bro, or, you know, your district director, your RVP people, you feel, um, that you want to start to have that conversation with, definitely do. Um, you know, Sharice touched on it earlier. You don't know what somebody's going through. Um, so definitely having those conversations, whether you're Asian, 
whether you're African-American, whether you're in the LGBTQ plus community, um, there's probably a brother out there that has felt the way that you have felt. And it's that simple connection, um, that push that Stacy gave Sharice that gives you the opportunity to really flourish and be your true authentic self. Um, so, so have those conversations. Um, and if that first conversation conversation needs to be with someone that you feel safe with, do it then. And, and, and hopefully it'll expand uh, because this, this brotherhood is something I'm very proud of. And, and it's given me a lot of the opportunity, not only just from today to learn from all these great panelists, but over the years, I am definitely a different person than I was when I started in 2009. And I accredit a lot of that to uh, the opportunities and the relationships that I've formed uh, in DSP. So I'm very thankful for that. And, and I hope you, you find that um, you have that in, in this brotherhood as well. What about you, Sharice? I would piggyback off of everyone. Um, just to kind of sum up, yes, I think if there's differences, I think that we do need to uh, be a little bit more brave in today's culture with having these difficult conversations. But when I say brave, I kind of mean come into the conversation with the intent to listen to learn and not the intent to listen to reply. That's kind of how a lot of conversations go and that's where the disagreements come into. So if we change our, pers our perspective and have a very, it's really like a complete paradigm shift when you're talking to someone that's from a different community than you and yet in the same community because we're talking about DSP, but different groups. Um, I just think having those difficult conversations um, and again, like I said, just I, I do want to put emphasis on listening to learn and not just to reply to share your opinion or share your disagreement or share your experience. You know, like like Trace said, I, I've learned so much about alumni just being on this conversation. I've been a brother for 12 years that I've known before today. So it's 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 one of those things that the more we listen, the quieter we are, we can kind of hear those true stories from from the brothers that need the space to talk because quite often sometimes there are people there's a lot of noise from people that we don't need to necessarily hear from um, at the moment so I just think um, being brave having those difficult conversations listening to learn instead of replying um, and all of the other things the panelists have said I mean it's, it's a combination of things I definitely think it's an ongoing feat and I will also say I mean with all of the challenges that we've had as a fraternity, as in the state of the world, I definitely think, and I stand in my decision on joining Delta Sigma Pi 12 years ago, I definitely think I'm in America's foremost professional progressive business fraternity to this day. You know, so I, I think that we're making major moves, we're making major strides. One of my colleagues is actually uh, a Huron brother as well. So everything comes full circle. And I think we just really need to continue to leverage the relationships that we build. Um, DSP by by listening and just simply being good people. I mean, you know, he who profits most serves best. So let's be good people. Let's be good brothers. Um, let's love each other. I know that's super cliche, but let's do <laughs> let's let's do our best to try to be good because energy is transferable. And I think when you put good out, that that energy does come back to you. Thank you. And I think just to kind of button it up, I think the biggest thing tip wise is to leverage intentions 
um, understanding people's intentions and making sure that you're able to create those spaces within your individual chapters and your regions and so on and so forth to facilitate conversations. I think so often um, people have these preconceived notions based off of what was taught in elementary, middle, and high school, um, because a lot of our history books don't lie to us, um, and facilitating those conversations out loud and, and getting, um, I guess, getting candid with it, always being respectful, um, and allowing people to speak their truth. I think those are probably some of the biggest things. And if you don't understand something, ask the brother, um, point blank, just go up to him, pull him aside. Hey, I just want to know about X, Y, and Z. Take that initiative to learn about um, your brothers from different nationalities who grew up in different communities. Take that initiative. Don't allow it or don't wait for them to tell you. And I think that has been one of the biggest pain points that I have seen over the past year is that we're seeing so many people, well, teach me, like Sharon Osborne, teach me, you're a 68 year old woman <laughs> and you didn't realize. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a real realization. I think it's more of a willful ignorance, um, but always be open um, to learning, open to sharing ideas and doing your own research before you go up to somebody else of a different background, because you could potentially come off a little ignorant. And I'm gonna pass that over to Vito. All right. Um, well, I, that was a, a deep one. I did not expect that. Uh, mm, thank you to all the panelists and, and Terrence for uh, really just, just spilling on and being so bluntly honest. I, this has got to be one of the most raw conversations I've had the privilege to be a part of in, in so long. And just, I'll just, just thank you guys for that. And thanks for the audience for being so respectful and also being so engaging. Uh, we're going to end this off in the fun way that, you know, our last rack event, we got, we got to end it in the right way. Province roll call, guys. I'm about to launch the poll. What province are you guys representing right now? Uh, it's... Uh, but also just know there are safe spaces out there for you. And even if you feel like you're alone in your chapter, whether you be an alumni or a collegiate, because we know the alumni game can be rough, always reach out to somebody. You see the names in the chat, in, in the uh, Zoom participants, feel free to reach out to anyone on there. And just whether you're collegiate, alumni, reach out to your leaders. If you don't trust them, reach out to somebody else. There are safe spaces in DSP. I think probably the safe spaces they're a little hard to find, but I think there are more safe spaces than there are uh, not so safe spaces. We just got to find each other. And everybody put their last votes in. And it looks like, looks like a tie between Northeast and North Central time. For the first time, North Central comes out on top. Usually they're the last one. So nice job, North Central. North Central, but they were they were Northeast and nice job North Central Northeast. Uh, with that being said, thank you all for coming out again. Uh, this recording will be available by the end of the probably by Sunday at the latest. There'll be a podcast version and a, a video version, of course. And if you guys feel feel free to reach out if you want any of the contact for any of the panelists, any of the frack events, any of that. Just reach out in the Facebook event or to anyone that you saw on the panel, we'll be able to connect with you. That being said, 
goodbye for Frag. Goodbye for uh, this lovely night in June. And I'm going to stop the recording. And if anyone wants to continue the discussion or just chat about anything, you guys are free to because the recording is over. <laughs>